Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, everyone. Judge Andrew Napolitano here for Judging Freedom. Today is Wednesday, June 28th, 2023. It's about 11 o'clock in the morning here on the East Coast of the United States. Phil Giraldi uh, returns to our cameras. Phil, always a pleasure. Uh, Thank you for joining us. Uh, With all of the uh, speculation uh, going on now about the events in Russia over the weekend, What is your take on the probable involvement or non-involvement of the CIA in uh, Yevgeny Prigozhin's uh, takeover of Rostov-on-Don and march toward Moscow? Well, uh, I'm not so sure it was a CIA operation per se. I would rather suggest MI6 which um, seems to have a better working connection uh, with the Ukrainian intelligence service. Uh, My speculation is that this might have been a setup coming from any one of a number of directions, including possibly coming from uh, the Kremlin itself uh, to create this situation, which would enable Vladimir Putin to get rid of uh, a guy who was beginning to be a lot of trouble for him. So I think there are a number of, of possible scenarios we should be looking at. Uh, quite personally, when I'm uh, listening to all the punditry talking about this, um, I find Colonel Douglas McGregor uh, very convincing. I find Larry Johnson very convincing. Mm-hmm. I believe you've spoken to both of them recently. Yes. And um, they are the kind of people that put sense uh, of all of this, this makes sense of all of this and put the pieces together. I, I find them very good. Why do you say MI6, which is the uh, British Foreign Intelligence, GCHQ is their domestic, I think I have this right, MI6 is their foreign, it's their CIA. Uh, are, are the Brits, uh, like the Israelis, better at this than the Americans are, or are they just better connected for some reason uh, with um, uh, Prigozhin. Yeah, I, I think it's it's the latter. I think the the um, the British have had uh, not necessarily a relationship with him, but relationships a better relationship than we have, a better professional relationship uh, with Ukrainians, who I would imagine uh, had some contacts with him. That would be the the conduit that I would be. I would be thinking to look for. Uh, we might find out more of this in the next few days. There, there's certainly a lot of backstories, I think, here 
that had the potential for kind of changing the way we're thinking about it. Colonel uh, McGregor and Larry are of the view that uh, Prigozhin may have been a double agent, mm -hmm. uh, that the Ukrainians uh, thought he was working for them and the Kremlin knew he was working for the Kremlin. I suppose it, uh, it depends on whose, ox, whose ox is being gored here. But mm -hmm. I would imagine that if uh, Putin suspected for a minute that um, a Prigozhin was a true traitor, he would have been executed by now. Yeah, I would. I would think that would have been a, the likely out, out, outlook or outcome of the uh, of what was going on. But at the same time, he he might have been the real thing. He might have been um, a real traitor that was acting like a double agent. I mean, this gets complicated. And uh, somebody like MI6 or uh, CIA uh, operating through uh, the Ukrainians uh, dangled a billion dollars in front of them. Uh, you, you know, you never know. Uh, I, I, I see a lot of potential um, issues that could surface in this. And as I say, hopefully we're going to find out a lot more in the next week or so. Well, how does this uh, work? I mean, you were in this business for uh, a while you you uh, approach a foreign person of some uh, importance or an agent of a foreign government and you want to flip them is it is it often ideological is it moral or is it cash it's probably all of the above and i would think in this case uh our friend probably had a grievance uh, against putin which would have made him a very desirable and um, on the surface anyway, a potential agent. And he might have been recruited. And so, you know, I'm thinking that uh, the two of them had been going back and forth with each other for, you know, some months now. And he might have figured he was on his way out anyway. And uh, this was a way to um, to kind of maybe turn the, the story around. I don't know yet. This, this is, again, uh, a lot of this is speculation. We, there, were, there was news coverage today about the CIA having advanced knowledge that this was going to take place. Now, where does that put us, you know? Yeah. Well, we know that the, um, I don't know if you ever participated in these briefings or if um, uh, Ray McGovern has, but we know that the American intelligence community, I, I don't know what who the briefer was. I don't know if it was Avril Haynes who is the director of national intelligence or Bill Burns, who's the director of central intelligence. How many levels of authority do they have? Another story for another time. So I don't know who did the briefing, but he or she or someone briefed the gang of eight, the Congress within the Congress, the uh, chair and ranking member uh, of the House and Senate Judiciary Committees uh, the majority and minority, or in, in the case of the House, the Speaker of the House and the minority leader uh, from uh, each House of Congress. That's the Gang of Eight. They call themselves the Gang of Eight. It, it's as anti-democratic as, lowercase d, as you can imagine. The government shares secrets with them, but they can't tell anybody. So there's no democracy involved. But somebody briefed the Gang of Eight on Wednesday. It probably was Here's what Prigozhin's going to do on Saturday, just to give you a heads up. Yeah, that's that's quite plausible. Again, this is another one of the closed doors that we're confronting on this story uh, that hopefully will be opening, in, at least to a certain extent, uh, in the near future. I mean, this is a...
this is a was a, a bizarre episode and everybody's trying to spin it in whatever direction suits them like uh, Blinken obviously uh, coming up with the fact that uh, Putin is definitely damaged goods very damaged as a result of this well it depends on how you interpret it and how you interpret the way this went down uh, McGregor and uh, Johnson argue that Putin is actually stronger now that he came off uh, as a patient diplomatic peacemaker that he did not have Russians shooting at Russians and he managed to rid himself at least for a while of his former chef who had become a public nuisance. Yeah, and and uh, I think it was McGregor who also said this would be a kind of wake-up call for Putin to, to really come up with a uh, a more uh, over uh, an overall strategy that works better. Whether that would mean uh, taking steps to end the war or taking steps to finish it faster uh, are probably the things that are going through his mind. Here's um, uh, Secretary of State Blinken. I mean, it's hard to believe that he really believes what he's saying, but we'll play it anyway and let you comment on it. Uh, Secretary of State Blinken on CNN last Sunday, right after all this uh, stuff with Bergosian came to a conclusion. We've seen this aggression against Ukraine become a strategic failure across the board. Russia is weaker economically, militarily. It's standing around the world has plummeted. It's managed to get Europeans off of Russian energy. It's managed to unite uh, and strengthen NATO with, with new members and a stronger alliance. It's managed to uh, alienate uh, from Russia and unite together Ukraine in ways that it, it's never been before. This is just an added uh, chapter to a very, very bad book that uh, Putin has written for Russia. Straight from the neocon playbook. Absolutely. And none of it is true. If you break down that statement uh, by all its little um, uh, half sentences, uh, you would come up with the conclusion that none of it is true, except that Russia is not supplying energy to Europe. And, <laughs> and that's because somebody like the United States uh, blew up a pipeline and um, making that impossible. But yet that is the argument that CIA, MI6, the State Department, the neocons, the globalists, the Biden administration, Bertie counted six, I guess I could go on and come up with another 10, in the West want all of us uh, to believe uh, that somehow Putin doesn't know what he's doing uh, Putin is weak. Russia is is weak, and America and our empire building is triumphant. Yeah, that's precisely what they want us to believe, because they essentially want to, this war to continue uh, forever uh, until Russia is weakened at beyond the point that uh, they're satisfied with it. But of course, that that's first of all not going to happen, and 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 secondly, it's uh, all it's doing is de destroying our own economy. And, uh, and basically setting uh, uh, precepts for the United States to intervene globally that the rest of the world is watching and listening. Let's say that uh, this uh, meeting between American intel leaders and the Gang of Eight last Wednesday was about uh, Purgosian. So if the CIA knew what Purgosian was up to, wouldn't Russian intel know what Purgosian is up to? And wouldn't Ukrainian intel know what Prigozhin is up to? And wouldn't Prigozhin, who's no dummy, know that they know what he is up to? 
Well, I would answer yes to all of those hypotheses. And, and but I would add, there's always the possibility this was a, a, a more clever operation than than the way we're seeing it. Not just a double operation or a single operation, maybe a triple operation. So tell us how a clever operation like this might have been carried out and to whose advantage, Phil? Well, the, the whole point is that when you have a spy, an agent that you're running, someone like me, uh, a case officer, uh, is what it's referred to as. Um, you never can trust the agent. Because right, so the let's agent say in this hypothetical, you have uh, an agent of uh, Russian intel who you have flipped to work for you. So now he's a double agent. Right. Take it, take it, take it from there. Do you trust him or don't you? Do you surveil your own agent to see if he's still your agent? Well, what's in the back of your head is the fact that this guy has betrayed his own country and he's doing something with you probably for money. And so why should you believe that uh, he really uh, loves you and is, is going to be totally cooperative with you? So you take this one level farther and you have like a triple agent, a guy who's fooling two people and two governments and, and two parties. I mean, so the, yeah, I, I think that the, there were probably enough signs coming from what Perotian has been saying for the last several months, his complaints and everything like that, that there was something bubbling there. And I think a lot of people probably either had, uh, well, shall we say part of the story and maybe not completely the story. And of course, what, you got to be inside his head to know what he's really thinking. Here is what was inside his head uh, after he landed in Belarus. And it's uh, basically, you know, yesterday we were traitors. Today, uh, we're heroes. Uh, this was just a protest movement. I'm, I'm going to read the uh, subtitles of uh, Mr. Progosian's comments. We started our march because of injustice. On the way, we did not kill a single soldier on the ground. In a day, we were only 200 kilometers away from Moscow. We entered and completely took control of the city of Rostov. The civilians were glad to see us. We showed a master class on how 24 February 2022 should have looked. We did not have the goal of overthrowing the existing regime and the legally elected government, which was said many times. We turned around in order not to shed the blood of Russian soldiers. Does Vladimir Putin, Putin believe that? And do you believe that, Phil Giraldi? Well, when you have armed troops uh, marching on the capital of the country, uh, it's pretty hard to see it quite the way he's framing it. And now, you know, he's basically in exile now. And he has to basically sell a story that's going to keep uh, his head on his body. And uh, that, I suspect, is what he's doing, because uh, it, it's just not plausible what he's saying. It was all right. It's a it's it's a protest movement in a, a manner of speaking, just as any uh, coup against the government is a protest movement against the government. But uh, he's stretching definitions uh, quite a bit. Do you have any uh, intel as to whether uh, these twenty five thousand troops uh, knew where they were going and were told what they were doing and was aware that the world was watching. 
Well, uh, it, it seems pretty clear that a lot of people knew what was going on. And, and by the way, I don't think the, the 25,000 troops um, were on the move. I think this was a, a basically a much smaller contingent that uh, moved into Rostov and was prepared to possibly march on, on Moscow, which uh, where they would have been confronted by uh, 10 times as many troops. So I, you know, I, I'm not so sure that again, this is a, this is a narrative that he's constructing, I think, to be uh, uh, put him in a positive light. Uh, and uh, he can't do anything else but that right now. Here's a uh, president uh, Putin uh, on Monday night. He's angry. Uh, he's determined and he's forceful. The mutineers betrayed their country, their people, and they betrayed those who they dragged into this affair, who they pushed to shoot at their comrades. It is this fratricide that the new Nazis in Kiev and their Western masters wanted to see, and the various traitors as well. They wanted to see Russian soldiers kill each other. They wanted to see Russian servicemen and civilians die, and ultimately to see Russia defeated and the Russian society split apart. So, since the very beginning, I gave orders to prevent bloodshed, and we needed time for that, including to give an opportunity to those who realize they've made a mistake, to rethink their decision, to realize that they're putting society at risk, and that this is leading to destructive consequences as a result of this reckless affair. I thank the soldiers and commanders of the Wagner Group who made the only correct decision and refused to engage in the fratricide and who stopped at the last line. Wow. He praises the Wagner uh, leadership. He thanks them. He wanted to give them time for re, uh, to reconsider, and he didn't want to shed their blood. This is not Joe Stalin. This is a very, very uh, different, almost uh, westernized, patient, in control Russian leader. Well, and also, I, I, I hadn't seen that whole clip. Um, in the beginning, it seems to me he's pointing the finger at uh, the U.S. and NATO for having engineered this. I think that's yes. a, kind of a, a little bit of a hint there. Yes, yes, what? yes. He blames he blames us. For fomenting, well, us, blame, not you and I, not the people watching us, it blames the CIA for fomenting fratricide and for supporting neo-Nazis. Well, the neo-Nazis would be uh, Zelensky and, uh, and his crew. Fomenting fratricide, I guess, would be Russians fighting Russians. Right. I mean, he must have some intel. I mean, his Russian intelligence must have said Langley knows all about this. They can stop it, but they're not going to do anything about it. That was probably in the back of his mind as he made that statement. Or I would take it one step farther, even suggesting that Langley uh, and um, and London uh, might have been in behind engineering this, creating this. Um, we don't know yet. How uh, I want to get to your piece, Washington Loves War Criminals, which... Uh, was provoked by an effort by your member of Congress, if I have this correct, to rename a post office in a town near where you live after a person you believe is a war criminal who slaughtered hundreds of thousands but was never prosecuted for it, the former 
United States ambassador to the United Nations and the former uh, Secretary of State, um, Madeleine Albright. Uh, what provoked this, I believe, was this effort to change the name of the post office. But if you pull that scab off, the, the blood that comes out is neocon. So what are the neocons and how dangerous are they and where are they? Well, uh, yeah, as you point out, my objection was my local post office was going to change its name to honor Madeleine Albright. And I, I laid out the, uh, the argument against that, the fact that uh, uh, she has committed a number of war crimes. Uh, she basically is a neoconservative. The neoconservatives, um, this is what's really disturbing, is that the neoconservatives have basically taken over uh, foreign policy uh, of the United States government. They are the, they are the spokesmen for the foreign policy of both the Democrats and the Republicans. And, and this is the, the kind of antics that go on. Uh, I, I think I said in the article that the big difference now between um, the uh, Democrats and Republicans is over social issues. Everybody accepts uh, on both sides of the line that the U.S. should by right be using its military power uh, to s set the rules for the rest of the world. And uh, this is a neocon invention, something that the neocons basically brought about by uh, very cleverly, uh, some neocons identify as Democrats, some Democrats, uh, some as Republicans. So they managed to cover both sides of the argument and they, they wound up getting pretty much what they want, a, uh, a country that basically uh, exists right now to go to war. And would, would uh, Lindsey Graham and Tony Blinken, a, a, a self-styled conservative Republican, Graham, a self-styled liberal Democrat, Blinken, be examples of neocons who subscribe to this ideology that uh, Madeleine Albright uh, foisted upon the government when she became Secretary of State. Yeah, and of course there are more names than that we can pull out of the hat. It's uh, I, I, I also noted in the article that it's um, there's very few people in the Congress that speak out against the war policy, and uh, I can think of Massey, and I I, uh, I could think of uh, uh, Senator Paul, um, but you know you can count them pretty much on one hand. They're the Libertarians in the Republican Party and the uh, Progressives in the Democratic Party, but you're right, you can count them on one hand because basically uh, Congress is controlled by the war party with a Republican wing and a Democrat uh, wing. And there yeah. doesn't seem to be uh, any, the only way to stop this would be if a libertarian or a progressive were in the White House. Otherwise, Congress, without declaring war, because there's no legal basis to declare it, Russia doesn't pose an imminent military threat to the U.S. We pose an imminent military threat to Russia they pose no threat uh, to us. So the only way to do this is the spending power, which the Supreme Court has said Congress can spend its money, our money, it's not its money, however it sees fit. They want to give uh, old Joe a blank check for $113 billion. They can give it to him, and he can sneak troops on the ground saying, well, this equipment's too sophisticated for the Ukrainians to operate. I have to have troops there to operate it. And that's the way they get around uh, the Constitution, and that's the way they act with near unanimity. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, the the fact is that we've we've fought a number of wars in the last twenty years, and we've never declared war once. 
And, right. and, and there's never been an imminent threat even once. Did Iraq threaten us? Well, it, they, it did if you went with the fake intelligence reports that the neocons were pushing through the Pentagon and through the vice president's office. What did Ray McGovern tell George W. Bush about Saddam Hussein's weapons of mass destruction? <laughs> I wasn't in the room at the time, so I don't know. <laughs> I, I well, according hope. to Ray, he told them, Mr. President, they don't blanking exist. <laughs> and Bush said, yeah. get the blank out of here. That's You're ruining my day. You're ruining my administration. You're telling the truth, Ray. Do uh, CIA um, uh, briefers ever tell uh, a president an uncomfortable truth? We've been through this a hundred times, Phil. Or do they tell him what they think he wants to hear? Uh, depends on the briefer, I guess. Uh, a guy like Ray, I can believe, would uh, stick by principle. But um, I, I've known some of the other brief presidential briefers, and uh, uh, I don't think so in their cases. I think they would tell him what he wants to hear. Before we close today, what's your gut uh, on uh, Purgosian? Uh, a Pentagon, a, a, forgive me, a Kremlin tool, a Kremlin uh, ally, uh, a crazy person, a threat to Putin? What, it, what does your gut tell you? With all your years uh, monitoring Russians and comprehending U.S. Uh, intel data? I would guess that this, when we eventually find out what this was all about, we will probably um, decide that it was largely personal, that he, he felt he was not appreciated as much as he should have been by the Kremlin, that um, there were certain incidents uh, that uh, uh, he was unhappy about and he felt that he wasn't getting the right feedback. And uh, I, th I would think it was uh, more personally motivated than anything else. But there could be some surprises. Bill Giraldi, always a pleasure, my dear friend. Thank you very much uh, for joining us. I don't know when we'll speak next because next week is a, a short week, but a happy Independence Day. Thank when, you. When the colonies seceded from Great Britain. Probably the last moral war we ever fought. All the best, my dear friend. Thank you. Thank you for watching. If you like this, like and subscribe. We're up to 173,000 subscriptions. Our goal is 175,000 by next uh, Tuesday, which is Independence Day. I'm confident we'll make it because of you. More as we get it. Jack Devine will give us a very different version of all of this from Phil Giraldi uh, at 3.30 this afternoon Eastern. Judge the Palatano for Judging Freedom.
number one deluxe meal. Is there anything else I can get you? Yeah, I'd also like a good night's sleep. Excuse me, sir? You know, the I didn't struggle all night with my uncomfortable CPAP mask or something like the my wife didn't kick me out to sleep on the couch because of my constant tossing and turning. Sir, we don't have anything like that here. I think what you're looking for is Inspire. It's an implant that works inside your body to treat sleep apnea without a CPAP. That way you can breathe normally and rest more soundly. Come on! He sounds angry. Inspire is the only FDA-approved sleep apnea treatment of its kind. It's helping tens of thousands of people finally get restful sleep. To learn more, visit InspireSleep.com. That's InspireSleep.com. Inspire. Sleep apnea innovation. Inspire is not for everyone. Talk to your doctor to see if it's right for you and review important safety information at inspiresleep.com.